Hello, and welcome to the Credit Union Overtime Podcast, produced and presented by the Credit Union Webinar Network, powered by FinEd. Today, we have Nancy Flynn with us to discuss her webinar, Business Writing Bootcamp, including critique of your own writing sample. A recognized expert on workplace policy, communication, and compliance, Nancy Flynn is the founder and executive director of the ePolicy Institute, Business Writing Institute, and Marijuana Policy Institute. She provides training, writing, and consulting services to clients seeking to minimize compliance risks and maximize communication skills. Nancy is the author of 13 books, including Writing Effective Email, the ePolicy Toolkit, and the Social Media Handbook. An in-demand trainer, she conducts seminars, webinars, and one-on-one coaching for financial institutions, financial services firms, and other clients worldwide. She also serves as an expert witness in litigation related to electronic and workplace policies and procedures. Well, with that, Nancy, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Rachel. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Well, I have a few questions for you regarding uh, your business writing bootcamp uh, webinar. My first question for you is, the title mentions we get a free writing critique. How long should the sample we send in be, and what exactly is included in the critique that you give? Great question. Everybody who attends the Business Writing Bootcamp, uh, whether you attend it live or via the recorded session, everybody is welcome to send me a business writing sample of no more than five pages. So feel free to send a business-related email or five email messages. You can send a traditional business document, maybe a um, proposal uh, or something like that. Or if you are creating content, whether it's blog posts or social media or web content, you'd like me to look at that, that's fine too. And um, what I will do is I'll critique your writing and you'll receive back from me your document with my um, proofing and editorial comments written on it. And then I'll also give you a summary email making recommendations for what you should focus on in order to be a more effective business writer. But I really encourage everybody who attends the um, Business Writing Institute's Business Writing Bootcamp to take advantage of that opportunity and submit that that uh, writing sample. Absolutely. That's a really good uh, little pro there, a little bonus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really good to have that uh, one-on-one feedback. Um, okay. Well, my next question is, what are some of the most common mistakes you see institutions making when it comes to business writing practices? I know you've been doing this a long time, so I'm sure you have some horror stories. <laughs> well, the number one mistake that Um, a financial institution or any organization can make is failing to provide employees with writer's training. Most people uh, had writing class, you know, took English in high school, um, had a little help with their writing then. In in college, um, a lot of people only took freshman English because it usually is a required topic and then didn't have any additional writing instruction. So the number one recommendation I would make for employers is put all of your employees from entry-level staff right up through the C-suite, put everybody through 
writers training, whether that's on site or online, whether it's a group program or one-on-one -on -one coaching. And here at the Business Writing Institute, we train every type of employee in, in every business industry and profession. And, and everybody who takes writer's training always reports after the fact that they really benefited from it. And I can, I can assure you, if you go through uh, our Business Writing Institute training, you'll see immediate improvement in your writing after that program. So that's the first tip I'd make. The second is all financial institutions and other organizations really should have in place a formal writing style guide, or you might have heard it referred to as maybe editorial guidelines. And this is a document that spells out for all of your employees as an organization how you want them to handle capitalization, for example. And you can you can provide rules for writing in the active voice. And how do you want bullet points to be set up? Do you want periods at the end of bullet points or do you want the punctuation left off? Uh, what about using um, pronouns? How do you want your employees to approach pronouns? Do you want them to, to always use gender neutral pronouns or not? And other issues like the use of serial commas, which a lot of people refer to as Oxford commas and, and spelling and word choice. How do you want email signatures set up? All types of issues like that can be covered in writing style guidelines. And it just helps your writers get the job done more effectively and more quickly. If all, all your writers need to do is take a look at that guidebook and then they'll know um, when I'm referring to uh, people of color, does my institution want me to capitalize the word black or leave it lowercase? And the Associated Press Handbook, by the way, which a lot of organizations use as their master guideline, the AP Handbook recommends that when referring to people, we always capitalize the word black. So um, you've got to keep evolving those style guidelines because language evolves, culture changes, and so does the way in which we write. And then another, another recommendation I would make for organizations is you want to, as part of your email policy, your social media, internet, and um, Zoom and Microsoft Teams and video conferencing policies, you want to make sure that you incorporate language guidelines and content rules. You want to spell out for your business writers exactly what language and what content is allowed and what is not permitted. Because when it comes to business writing, we want to be mindful of effective communication, but you also need to be aware of the fact that inappropriate language and unlawful content can lead to legal liabilities. You could be hit with a harassment or discrimination lawsuit. And uh, you, you don't want your organization to face a costly lawsuit and you don't want employees to be embarrassed or possibly dismissed from their jobs because of inappropriate 
content and language choices. So you want to address those issues as an organization in your policies. Absolutely. And kind of going back to that first point that you mentioned, you know, having just everybody, no matter what the skill level is going through some kind of writing course. I think that's great. I, I actually do quite a bit of editing for us here at financial education. And I, um, I actually learned quite a bit from your, uh, your bootcamp, uh, slides. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of good information in there. I think for, for all skill levels. Yeah, absolutely. I I appreciate your expertise. (laughs) Um, and oh, uh, kind of. You also mentioned you touched on pronouns a little bit in your in your workplace policies. That kind of is a good transition to my next question, because um, you know, pronouns are, if anything, more important now than ever um, to use the correct pronouns and and you know keep everybody happy. Um, do you have any tips for what you would recommend the kind of pronouns to use in a professional setting? Is it ever okay to use um, like the plural them or there in a singular tense? Absolutely. That, that is a great point, Rachel. In fact, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary in 2019 made the word they its word of the year. And the Associated Press style book, which I referred to earlier, accepts plural pronouns, which would include they, them, their, to refer to singular nouns and individuals. Back in the day, the rules of grammar prohibited us from using a plural pronoun, they, with a singular noun, Nancy. But now, because we are mindful of um, gender neutrality, um, many organizations have moved to the use of gender neutral pronouns and bear in mind the fact that using gender neutral pronouns not only supports your staff but it also supports your diversity and inclusion policy and the law and some of our listeners might be surprised to know that currently 20 states and over 200 cities have enacted laws that ban the use of masculine pronouns like he and feminine pronouns, she, and that combination, he slash she. And these cities and states are requiring uh, organizations to use gender neutral pronouns. And, And you don't always have to use they, them, and their. You can also, uh, you can use tricks Uh, For example, you can just eliminate the offending pronoun. So instead of writing, for example, the executive should read his email daily, you would just say the executive should read email daily. You can repeat your noun. So rather than saying the manager was upset when she used the company email system, you could say the manager was upset when, and then use the noun, the intern use the system. You can always use the generic pronoun one. You can rewrite using the word who. You can use an article, a, and, the, this, that, these, or those. And then you can just rework your entire sentence. And I also want to mention the fact that, you know, I know that sometimes some people will will kind of roll their eyes about the, the topic of gender neutral pronouns, but You should be aware of the fact that the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission has issued a guideline 
that states that supervisors and coworkers should use an employee's chosen name and chosen pronouns in employee records and in communications with and about the employee. So at this point in our history, all organizations really should switch to um, gender neutral pronouns, make that um, part of your writing style guidelines, incorporate that in training. And an easy way to get this started is to um, allow employees in their email signature block to add a line that says preferred pronouns, colon, they, them, there, or whatever their preferred pronouns may, may be. Um, but this is something that, you know, you don't want to be heavy handed about it. You don't want to require employees to announce publicly what their preferred pronouns are because some people don't want to do that. But, but we definitely do want to stop using he as an all-inclusive pronoun like it used to be used and, and then find some more stylish alternatives. And I will mention that uh, I have a white paper available called Use Pronouns to Support Diversity and Inclusion. And if, if any of our listeners would like a copy of that, just send me an email. My address is nancy at epolicyinstitute.com. And I'd be happy to, to send you that. And also, I've got uh, another white paper on how to create writing style guides for your organization, if you'd like that one as well. Awesome. Well, that's really interesting. So these uh, 20 states where, um, you know, uh, it, gender neutrality has been, you know, passed, can you actually get in trouble for using pronouns like he and she in professional setting? Well, let me give you one example. Um, in some cases, what's happened is a city has replaced gender pronouns um, in all of their city documents. So, for example, Portland, Oregon has replaced gender pronouns with the singular use of they. But other cities um, actually have set up guidelines that can lead to penalties for employers. So, for example, New York City requires employers to use employees' preferred name, pronoun, and title, regardless of sex assigned at birth, anatomy, gender, medical history, appearance, or sex indicated on your identification. And an employer's refusal to comply with transgender employees' preferences could constitute gender-biased harassment in New York, and then that could trigger civil penalties of up to a quarter of a million dollars. So. I recommend to all organizations, when you are creating your writing style guidelines, um, that's a great time to do a little research and find out what about the jurisdictions in which we operate? What does the, the city in which we're located have to say about pronouns? Um, does our state, has our state enacted pronoun laws? And then if, if the answer is yes, then you want to address that in your your training and your guidelines for writers. Absolutely, yeah. A little bit of homework for you guys, but I definitely think it's worth it. Yeah, right. <laughs> awesome. Okay, well, uh, just continuing on into the kind of nitty gritty parts of your your webinar, I know you go over. Um, you mentioned the ABCs of writing in your presentation. Um, what are the ABCs of writing, and why are those important to us? Okay, when 
whenever you are writing a business related document, again, whether it's electronic or email, and I would just mention the ABCs apply to text messages as well as you know lengthy documents. It doesn't matter the length of your communication. It has to be accurate and appropriate as well as brief and businesslike. And then when, he, when we get to the C's, that means clear, conversational, and correct. And when I say conversational, what I always recommend is that when you are writing, you use the same tone and language and voice that you would, would use if you were at a professional gathering. So if you were at a, at a conference, for example, that, that your financial institution sponsored, then somebody asked you a question. How would you answer that question in a professional setting? Well, that's the same way you should write. You want to be conversational yet professional. And just a couple more tips on the ABCs. When it comes to accuracy, note that if you address your reader by name, you will attract 26% more attention. So in your email, not only should you always have a salutation, dear Rachel, but in the body of the email itself, it is a really good idea to at some point say, for example, um, I'd be happy to provide you with that material, comma, Rachel. And then remember that in terms of accuracy, nothing is more important to all of us than our own names. So make sure your reader's name is spelled correctly. Make sure that you get titles correct. Watch out for autocorrect and watch out for spell check because spell check can't catch a word that is correct, T-H-E-R-E, but should have been T-H-E-I-R. And then um, some tips when it comes to brevity, you want to help your reader move from point A to point Z, but don't overload the document with minutia, don't state the obvious, and always take out all of the gobbledygook. And that includes legalese and technical terms. You want to keep your writing short and simple and straight to the point. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with nice, short sentences with a period at the end. Even if you are perfectly capable of writing complex and compound sentences, you might be asking your reader to do a little more work than the reader would like to do. So keep it nice and simple. And then when we're talking about clarity, paint a picture for your reader. So rather than saying um, our, our uh, workplace policy prohibits employees from lifting objects that weigh more than 10 pounds, period, paint that picture. Um, our policy prohibits employees from lifting objects that weigh more than 10 pounds. To put that in context, common items that weigh more than 10 pounds include a laundry basket filled with towels, a large watermelon. Um, a sack of potatoes, and so on. So you, you create that, that picture. And remember, as a writer, your job is to inform your reader. So it's not about you. It's about the reader. And you have to write in a manner that really makes your message stand out and, and it 
and it's clear to the reader, what action am I supposed to take? And to that end, I just want to also mention, Rachel, that we always want to write in what's called the inverted pyramid style. So if you were writing a mystery novel, you would save the whodunit until the end. But in business writing, you flip that formula. You begin with your most important information and then work down through the document to less important information, less important information, least important information. And the reason you do that is because there's no guarantee that your, your reader will stick with you to the end of your document. So particularly with email, put your most important information right up front in the first paragraph. And that goes for all types of business documents. Absolutely. That makes a whole lot of sense. I mean, me personally with my emails, you know, if I get one, if I get a really long email, there's a pretty good chance I'm going to skim it first, see if there's anything right. really yeah. important to me uh, before I start reading the whole whole thing there. Um, especially, you know, everybody's got busy schedules, you know, yeah. nobody has time to read a whole novel uh, starting out their, yeah, their emails there. Yeah. And along that same, same line, there is nothing wrong with putting really important information in bold type or uh, use the yellow highlighting option. Something to make your most important information stand out, especially if it's critical for your reader to take a, a particular action within a certain amount of time. Absolutely, yeah. Makes a whole lot of sense to me. Um, all right, well, well, my next question for you, uh, you go over the use of punctuation and capitalization in the presentation you know, quite extensively, um, but what is the biggest capitalization mistake business writers make that you see? Um, and, and how about punctuation? If you could only share one rule with us um, about punctuation, what would that be? All right, when it comes to capitalization, the rule is you only capitalize job titles that precede or come before the individual's names. So never capitalize a job title that follows a name. So you would capitalize executive director, Nancy Flynn. But if you wrote Nancy Flynn, comma, executive director, it would be lowercase e and lowercase d. And in order to keep yourself out of political hot water at your organization, always put titles in front of names, and then you will always capitalize everybody's title. And that's a rule that, that is not optional. That is a firm rule. Now, in terms of punctuation, I, I see a lot of business writers who struggle with commas. You want to make sure that you are using commas correctly. If you misplace a comma, you can change the entire meaning of a sentence. So just, you know, I'll give you this one tip about commas. Um, and, or, nor, for, but, so, yet are what we call coordinating conjunctions. If you have what could stand alone as two independent sentences that are joined by and or nor for but so yet you put a comma in front of the coordinating conjunction so for example i am participating in a webinar comma and i hope my listeners find the information useful and the other other point i'll give you about commas is when you close if you're using quotation marks 
and you have a comma, the comma goes inside the closing quotation mark and periods go inside the closing quotation mark as well. That's another mistake that we see commonly and that is another firm rule never changes. Awesome. Okay. I kind of have a, a specific one for you. Um, you know, as financial institutions, oftentimes um, you have to uh, write about or to the board or the board of directors. And I, I have seen the board capitalized and not capitalized all the time. And sometimes do you have any rules about that? Would that always be capitalized when you're referring to the board or would it never be, or, or how does that work? Now, if you, if you were writing, um, tomorrow I'm meeting with the board of directors, it would be lowercase b and lowercase d. Um, if you, if you wrote, um, board member, Betty Smith, it would be capital B, capital M, because that's a title preceding a name. Um, so you, you, we do see the word board overcapitalized. Um, but you know, just within text, you don't have to capitalize it. Okay. That makes sense. All right. Next question. Is it ever appropriate to use exclamation marks in a professional setting? I am guilty of using this in my emails a lot. So this is kind of a question for me. Well, that's one of my favorite questions because <clears throat> It is such a common error. Um, the, here's the rule with exclamation points. In business writing, limit yourself to one exclamation point per document if you really feel it's necessary. If you can totally eliminate exclamation points, that's even better. Try to generate excitement and convey enthusiasm with your language and your writing style and your tone. Um, prior to computers, when we were all using typewriters, there was no exclamation point. There was not a key for the exclamation point on typewriters. And the exclamation point existed, it's existed for hundreds of years, but it just wasn't on the typewriter. And then once we all switched to computers, now there's an exclamation point and you hit it right on the head, Rachel, with email. A lot of writers go absolutely exclamation point crazy. That's so, me. <laughs> yeah. So just remember, if you're trying to generate excitement and you have multiple exclamation points, your, your reader's eyes are just going to start to glaze over um, and and not believe you that that's a truly important statement because you've already used, used 10 exclamation points in that particular message. So keep it to one, try to work that down to zero. <laughs> okay. I'll have to work on that one. I'll, <laughs> I'll take that one to heart. Oh, awesome. Okay. Well, Nancy, at this point, um, we're ready to round out the podcast and I'd like to take a moment now to allow our listeners a chance to get to know you a little bit better. So my personal question for you, Nancy, is can you tell us what your favorite part of your job is? This is easy. Um, I am one of those really fortunate people who does exactly what I love to do for a living. I love to write and I love to teach. And being able to conduct writers training programs for business professionals 
and being able to write and edit for a living. And it, it just, I, I love coming to work every day. Did you always know you wanted to be a teacher? I did. When I was, when I was young, I remember in the third grade thinking I wanted to be a teacher. And then, um, after I, I, um, got my graduate degrees, um, I, 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 uh, finally, um, stopped going to, to college when I was working on a PhD in grammar and, and composition. Um, we, we called it rhetoric and composition. And, um, so, but while I was uh, in graduate school and after I was out of graduate school, I taught business writing and technical writing at uh, Ohio State University. And um, I really enjoyed that. And then um, I decided to make the switch to, um, to private industry. And, uh, and now um, I have clients who not only are financial institutions and other corporations, but I also conduct writers training for government agencies and associations. And I have several universities that have sent their staff and their faculty to me um, to, to, to help with their writing. And that's a real compliment when a, when a university is acknowledging that even their faculty and their staff could use a little bit of help with their writing. Absolutely. Well, we're sure happy to have you with us on our team, you know, uh, helping us out with, a, with our education over here. That's for sure. I always enjoy working, working with uh, financial education and development. So right back at you. <laughs> well, thanks, Nancy. Um, all right. Last but not least, um, can you tell us a little bit about what the Business Writing Institute and your other divisions, the Policy Institute and the Marijuana Policy Institute, um, what do you have to offer? Um, I appreciate the question. The Business Writing Institute provides online and on-site writers training as well as one-on-one -on -one coaching for employees who might need more, um, a, a little bit of a more intensive program than a, than a group training would provide. Um, also, we provide business writing services, editing, and proofreading services for, for clients. The ePolicy Institute provides training on electronic policies and procedures. So we provide training on email, records retention, social media, web, mobile devices, e-collaboration tools to try to help organizations minimize their compliance risks so that organizations don't end up getting in regulatory hot water or legal problems when their employees are communicating online. And then we also work with employees so that they are more effective electronic writers and, and communicators. And we also provide policy writing services as well as policy templates and fill in the blanks policy samples. And then uh, with the Marijuana Policy Institute, we provide training and policy writing and policy templates to help employers manage their employees' medical and recreational marijuana use. As, as more and more states um, are making marijuana legal, it's essential for employers to put those policies in place uh, to govern what your employees are allowed to do or not do when they're on the job. And the other other 
point out, oh, the other thing we do is we offer expert witness services uh, to organizations that are involved in policy-related litigation. And finally, I just wanted to mention once again, if, if any of our listeners would like a copy of um, my tip sheet, Great Grammar in Seven Steps, or um, using pronouns to support diversity and inclusion, or tips on creating that organizational writing style guide, just shoot me an email to nancy at epolicyinstitute.com, and I'd be happy to to send you whichever documents you're interested in. And otherwise, I look forward to to um, meeting you at a future business writing boot camp through financial education and development. Awesome. Well, Nancy, thank you so much for that overview and for taking the time to chat with me today. Listeners, be sure to check out Nancy's Business Writing Institute and her other affiliates. Links can be found in our show notes. You can access and purchase Nancy's webinar, Business Writing Bootcamp, including critique of your own writing sample, at our website using the link in our show notes. You can also visit us at cuwebtraining.com. Be sure to follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook on the Credit Union Webinar Network pages. I would like to thank all of our state association partners, our topic experts, and you, the listeners. Thank you for all that you do to support your members.